This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us today. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. We're getting you ready for July the 4th. Wow, it is not that far off today. No. June Coming 29th. Thursday, I, right? Yeah, I can't do math, but that's pretty soon. Coming up Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's always fascinating to me. The 4th of July is one of those holidays that, uh, unlike um, Thanksgiving, which is always the third Thursday of the month, mm-hmm. 4th of July lands on the 4th. And so watching uh, people change their habits for vacation time and office closure and comp time based on if the 4th is on a Monday or Tuesday versus the Thursday or Friday or Saturday, it really changes your whole vacation planning. Yeah. So now it's on a Thursday, so people will definitely take Friday Getting off. Getting that long weekend in. Right. But then do they creep into Wednesday or Tuesday, or do they just say, screw it, I'm taking the whole week yeah, off? Yeah, whole week. Yeah, yeah, they might be. I think that it's kind of... It's a major holiday for people, especially if your kids are just getting out of school oh, yeah. and you and you want to take a family vacay. One of the biggest alcohol-consuming holidays of the year. Also that, is 4th yes. of July. Yes. Lots of beer. Drink safely, beer. everybody. Yeah, so you want to come back uh, not having hurt yourself or anyone Please. else in a car. Exactly. Don't drink and drive. And you also want to make sure that you haven't blown any fingers off your hands. Yeah, no, don't drink in fireworks, please. Yeah. Also, it's a safety message from all of us and Jason Pierre-Paul of the NFL as well. Yes, oh, God, yes. And uh, in eastern Washington, fireworks are generally verboten because it's dry. And, yes. you know, don't start a forest fire. Yeah, be please. aware of that, too, please. So just a few <laughs> few things to keep in mind before the fun happens. I always look forward to it, too, this time of year, just spending it with my family. And this year, the Cardinals are going to be in town playing mm. the Mariners. Yep. And uh, my family is from St. Louis, huge diehard Cardinals fans. We're yep. huge St. Louis Blues fans. So when they won the Stanley Cup, it was big in our household. But this is uh, the three the three game series that they live for every three years that they get to do it. So yeah. I'm excited. It's a rare trip for the Cardinals to come to Seattle, and uh, their fans travel well, man. They do, and and uh, at Bush Stadium where they play, mm-hmm. it is the most attended year, like on a regular basis. They average like forty five thousand people a game. Yeah. Average. It's crazy. I mean, that's that is intense in St. Louis, and the thing I really appreciate about the Cardinals, the whiteness of the crisp white jersey. Yeah. Is so like pure compared to the cardinal red. Yeah. But the uniform really is sharp. It really pops. Yeah. They've got long tradition of now they're wearing the rock and the powder blues now yeah. as their alternate. So yeah. yeah, they they have got it down. They know how to do things there in yeah. St. Louis, get people to the ballpark. The so. Mariners have the cream white, you know. We do, on the Sunday, Sunday alternates. I really love those, the old school. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm I'm for anything that is a little farther away from the teal world. Sorry. The new blue is pretty cool. It is, yeah. Jen likes it a lot. There we go. Well, what else is going on in the headlines this week? Well, uh, you know, August 14th is coming up, and Rolling Stones are coming to play at CenturyLink. Yeah. They they delayed the concert. It was supposed to be earlier, but then Mick Jagger fell ill, so they're coming. Well, Suntory, which is Suntory Beam Inc. out of Japan, they bought Jim Beam and all the Jim Beam properties um, in 2013 for a cool $16 billion. Well, they, in 2013, 2012, for the 50th anniversary of the Rolling Stones, they created 150 bottles 
of a Rolling Stones anniversary blended whiskey. And some of those bottles now are expected to go up for auction in Scotland this week. And they think one bottle will fetch $44,000 US. And only 150 bottles made. So it's a very rare, very rare collection. And again, this goes back to how much would you spend? for a bottle of booze at auction. And I'm guessing these ones aren't really being consumed, right? These are more of just, they're going in your mantle, they're going in your collection of Rolling Stones memorabilia. Yeah, that's a a lot. That's a lot. Even as a Rolling Stone fan myself, I don't know uh, how much I'd be willing to to dish out for that. Well, the thing that makes this so rare is, uh, you know, you could go recreate the uh, recipe anytime you wanted generally, you know, if you're talking about like regular products. But here, they collected four different uh, single malts that were distilled in critical years of the Rolling Stones history. So they have oh, a, cool. uh, a Yamazaki malt that was distilled in 1962 when the band formed. Uh, they blended that with a Yamazaki malt from 1971 when the lips and tongue logo were completed nice. for that, that mm-hmm. tour. They have a blend from Yamazaki malt from 1972 uh, from the Exile on Main Street album, including Rocks Off using uh, their Suntory TV commercials. And then they have a malt from 1981, which is when their signature song, Start Me Up, was released. So they've got these four historic malts that they can't recreate yeah. because they can't go back in time. Yeah, and wow. And those, those are the ones that made this 150 bottles. So then you can understand a little bit more of the price tag. The bottle comes in a stylish box modeled after a black sofa. <laughs> oh, nice. All right. Interesting. <laughs> uh, all right. What else is going on in the headlines? Well, um, I had to ask you what this was about. <laughs> yeah. I was unfamiliar myself. Sad that I know. Uh, the dating app called Bumble, which is an app geared towards women that allows women to make the first move uh, to initiate uh, contact via the app. Um, Setting themselves apart from other competitors yeah. in that brand, really giving the power, at least most of it, to the women. Yeah. So they're expanding their brand now by opening a cafe and wine bar in New York City. This is really fascinating that a, uh, an app is opening a physical retail location, Yeah. right? So this is coming to us from the drinks business and reported by Bloomberg. Bumble Brew in New York's Soho district will run as a cafe by day, serving coffee and pastries and a wine bar by night. Uh, It's launched in collaboration with Delicious Hospitality. They'll have small plates served at the bar. They'll avoid awkward first date foods like (laughs) drippy burgers and sloppy spaghetti. The chief of staff noted no spaghetti, nothing would be, uh, nothing that, would be awkward in the first right, date. Yeah, we don't want that. Keep that in mind. This is created by Chef Ryan Hardy. It dishes up super food salads, cured meat platters, and Italian sandwiches layered with cold cuts. They'll range from 12 to $15. Uh, they've created a wine list, which includes 15 wines by the glass and variety of well-known grape varietals like Pinot Noir. And the wine bar and cafe will serve as a meeting place for Bumble users to network, date, or meet friends. And will host networking events on evenings. It has a capacity of 70 people, which is uh, 35 couples meeting up for the first time on the first yeah, date. Right? To do that math, yeah. Yep. Wow. All right. Well, we'll see how this pans out because, as you mentioned, we've seen some of these other, I guess, the apps that I'm com- that are coming to mind are more of the Uber variety, where we've talked about Uber a couple times on here, where they've branched into something relating to beer, wine, and spirits. But this is like an actual physical location. So as you mentioned. I'm going to give you an example of uh, math used improperly. Yeah. Okay, you ready? So this is from the article. Mm -hmm. And it says, founded in 2014 in Austin, Texas, Bumble has over 60 million users in 150 countries. And then the article says around 40% of its users live in Manhattan. So 40% of 60 million would be 24 million people. Mm, guys. Um, 
that's more than live in Manhattan. Yeah, let's and... check the numbers on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I know New York has uh, been rapidly growing, but still not that big. No. No, not that big. Check the numbers. Yeah. Do the math. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, if you're not going to the Bumble Brew location and you're just looking to enjoy a great glass of wine at home, we've got some tips for you on how to shop for wine. Basic things that you want. Armed information next time you go to the store. It's next on Cast Club Radio. This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us today. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. We're getting you ready for July the 4th. Wow, it is not that far off today. June 29th. Thursday, right? Yeah, I can't do math, but that's pretty soon. Coming up Thursday. So (laughs) it's always fascinating to me. The 4th of July is one of those holidays that, uh, unlike um, Thanksgiving, which is always the third Thursday of the month, Mm -hmm. 4th of July lands on the 4th. And so watching uh, people change their habits for vacation time and office closure and comp time based on if the 4th is on a Monday or Tuesday versus the Thursday or Friday or Saturday it really changes your whole vacation planning. Yeah. So now it's on a Thursday, so people will definitely take Friday Getting off. And that long weekend in. Right. But then do they creep into Wednesday or Tuesday, or do they just say, screw it, I'm taking the whole week yeah, off? Yeah, whole week. Yeah, yeah, they might be. I think that it's kind of... It's a major holiday for people, especially if your kids are just getting out of school oh, yeah. and you and you want to take a family vacay. One of the biggest alcohol-consuming holidays of the year. Also that, Fourth yes. of July. Yes. Lots of beer. Drink Lots safely, beer. everybody. Yeah, so you want to come back uh, not having hurt yourself or anyone Please. else in a car. Exactly. Don't drink and drive. And you also want to make sure that you haven't blown any fingers off your hands. Yeah, no, don't drink in fireworks, please. Yeah. Also, it's a safety message from all of us and Jason Pierre-Paul of the NFL as well. Yes, oh God, yes. And uh, in eastern Washington, fireworks are generally verboten because it's dry. And, yes. you know, don't start a forest fire. Yeah, be please. aware of that too, please. So just a few <laughs> few things to keep in mind before the fun happens. I always look forward to it too this time of year, just spending it with my family. And this year the Cardinals are going to be in town playing mm. the Mariners. Yep. And uh, my family is from St. Louis, huge diehard Cardinals fans. We're yep. huge St. Louis Blues fans. So when they won the Stanley Cup, it was big in our household. But this is uh, the three the three game series that they live for every three years that they get to do it. So yeah. we're excited. It's a rare trip for the Cardinals to come to Seattle, and uh, their well, fans travel well, man. They do, and and uh, at Bush Stadium where they play, mm-hmm. it is the most attended year, like on a regular. They average like forty five thousand people a game. Yeah. Average, it's crazy. I mean, that's that is intense in St. Louis. And the thing I really appreciate about the Cardinals, the whiteness of the crisp white jersey. Yeah. Is so like pure compared to the cardinal red. Yeah. But the uniform really is sharp. It really pops. Yeah. They've got long tradition of now they're wearing the rock and the powder blues now yeah. as their alternate. So yeah. yeah, they they have got it down. They know how to do things there in yeah. St. Louis, get people to the ballpark. The so. Mariners have the cream white, you know. We do, on the Sunday, Sunday alternates. I really love those, the old school. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm I'm for anything that is a little farther away from the teal world. Sorry. The new Love blue you. is pretty cool. It is, it yeah. Is really cool. Jen likes it a lot. There we go. 
Well, what else is going on in the headlines this week? Well, uh, you know, August 14th is coming up, and Rolling Stones are coming to play at CenturyLink. Yeah. They, they delayed the concert. It was supposed to be earlier, but then Mick Jagger fell ill, so they're coming. Well, Suntory, which is Suntory Beam Inc. out of Japan. They bought Jim Beam and all the Jim Beam properties um, in 2013 for a cool $16 billion. Well, they, in 2013, 2012, for the 50th anniversary of the Rolling Stones, they created 150 bottles of a Rolling Stones anniversary blended whiskey. And some of those bottles now are expected to go up for auction in Scotland this week, and they think one bottle will fetch $44,000 U.S. And only 150 bottles made, so it's a very rare very rare collection. And again, this goes back to how much would you spend for a bottle of booze at auction? And I'm guessing these ones aren't really being consumed, right? These are more of just they're going in your mantle. They're going in your collection of Rolling Stones memorabilia. Yeah, that's a a lot. That's a lot. Even as a Rolling Stone fan myself, I don't know uh, how much I'd be willing to to dish out for that. Well, the thing that makes this so rare is, uh, you know, you could go recreate the a recipe anytime you wanted generally, yeah. you know, if you're talking about like regular products. But here they collected four different uh, single malts that were distilled in critical years of the Rolling Stones history. So they have oh, a, cool. uh, a Yamazaki malt that was distilled in 1962 when the band formed. Uh, they blended that with the Yamazaki malt from 1971 when the lips and tongue logo were completed nice. for that, that mm-hmm. tour. They have a blend from Yamazaki malt from 1972 uh, from the Exile on Main Street album, including Rocks Off, using uh, their Suntory TV commercials. And then they have a malt from 1981, which is when their signature song, Start Me Up, was released. So they've got these four historic malts that they can't recreate yeah. because they can't go back in time. Yeah, and wow. And those, those are the ones that made this 150 bottles. So then you can understand a little bit more of the price tag. The bottle comes in a stylish box modeled after a black sofa. Oh, nice. All right. Interesting. Uh, All right. What else is going on in the headlines? Well, um, I had to ask you what this was about. (laughs) I was unfamiliar myself. Sad that I know. Uh, The dating app called Bumble, which is an app geared towards women that allows women to make the first move uh, to initiate uh, contact via the app um, setting themselves apart from other competitors yeah. in that brand, really giving the power, at least most of it, to the women. Yeah. So they're expanding their brand now by opening a cafe and wine bar in New York City. This is really fascinating that a, uh, an app is opening a physical retail location. Yeah. Right? So this is coming to us from the drinks business and reported by Bloomberg. Bumble Brew in New York's Soho District will run as a cafe by day, serving coffee and pastries and a wine bar by night. Uh, It's launched in collaboration with Delicious Hospitality. They'll have small plates served at the bar. They'll avoid awkward first date foods like (laughs) drippy burgers and sloppy spaghetti. The chief of staff noted no spaghetti. Nothing would be, uh, nothing that would be awkward in the first right, date. Yeah, we don't want that. Keep that in mind. This is created by Chef Ryan Hardy. It dishes up super food salads, cured meat platters, and Italian sandwiches layered with cold cuts. They'll range from 12 to $15. Uh, they've created a wine list, which includes 15 wines by the glass and a variety of well-known grape varietals like Pinot Noir. And the wine bar and cafe will serve as a meeting place for Bumble users to network, date, or meet friends. And will host networking events on evenings. It has a capacity of 70 people, which is uh, 35 couples meeting up for the first time on the yeah. first date. Right? You do that math. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see how this pans out because, as you mentioned, we've seen some of these other, I guess, the apps that I'm coming that are coming to mind. 
are more of the Uber variety, where we've talked about Uber a couple times on here, where they've branched into something relating to beer, wine, and spirits. But this is like an actual physical location. So as you mentioned. I'm going to give you an example of uh, math used improperly. Yeah. Okay, you ready? So this is from the article. Mm Mm-hmm. And it says, founded in 2014 in Austin, Texas, Bumble has over 60 million users in 150 countries. And then the article says around 40% of its users live in Manhattan. So 40% of 60 million would be 24 million people. Mm, guys. Um, uh, that's more than live in yeah, Manhattan. let's and... check the numbers on that one. <laughs> Unless, I know New York has uh, been rapidly growing, but still, not that big. No. No, not that big. Check the numbers. Yeah. Do the math. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, if you're not going to the Bumble Brew location and you're just looking to enjoy a great glass of wine at home, we've got some tips for you on how to shop for wine. Basic things that you want. Armed information next time you go to the store. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Club Radio. Right now, we are joined by Carrie and Freddie Arredondo, both responsible for making some incredible wine at KB Estate Winery. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Pretty incredible story here, especially we love talking to people who have made a huge impact in this local community. And can you tell us a little bit about the origin story behind KB Estate Winery? Yeah, I can. Um, KB Estate Winery was founded by my parents, uh, Vince and Carol Bryan, and they actually bought the land over there. Um, most people, most of your listeners would know it as the land next door, next door to the Gorge Amphitheater. They bought that land in 1979 with several hundred acres that they purchased. It was all sagebrush except for about 100 acres of alfalfa, wow. and they purchased <laughs> it to grow grapes specifically. My dad was a neurosurgeon and had grown up in Brooklyn, New York, dreaming of being a farmer when he looked out into the alleyways and, uh, you know, was half Irish, half Italian, and um, he used to play his accordion and love music and whatnot. Eventually, fast forward, he became a neurosurgeon, came wow. out to Washington State during the Vietnam War after he uh, was stationed at the Bremerton Naval Base, had met my mom in high school, um, and so they moved the family out here after they fell in love with Washington from there, and at neurosurgery, his life to death every day. And so they wanted something that was a stress reliever and something that they could do together. So he went back to his childhood dream of being a farmer and decided they wanted to plant grapes. That Italian side of his heritage came out there and wine grapes was just the way to go in his mind. And um, so they purchased it in 1979 and planted our first vineyard in 1980. Uh, it takes a grapevine about four years to to really grow to the point that the grapes are good enough to harvest for wine. And at that point in time, they felt like they had really good quality grapes there and wanted to, um, although it was not their original intention, to start up their own winery. So they reached out to friends, family members, colleagues, different people, and created the, our first winery, Champs de Brion, uh, with the partnerships of other people. Um, and then they went on from there for that grand opening of that winery, Back then, if people now go to the gorge, it's all paved roads. Back then, everything was dirt roads, and oh. we really <laughs> felt like we are in the middle of nowhere. Um, and uh, so for the grand opening of that winery, my mom sent out, I think, a thousand invitations to George and Quincy, and she got a thousand yes were coming to that grand opening. Wow. Back. And so they wanted to have a nice venue, a nice place for them. So they planted Kentucky Bluegrass 
and they didn't realize it did not germinate in the summertime. So they had a dust bowl around the winery. <laughs> and so they uh, decided, how can we get people to walk to where what was on our property? And it was our picnic area. And there's four kids in my family. It always brings friends over from Seattle and elsewhere to picnic right there. And um, they soon realized during some of those picnics that when someone would run down the hill and be at the bottom of the hill, they could hear really, really quite easily their conversation. Um, <laughs> and they realized just the amazing natural acoustics that were wow. there. So for the grand opening of that first winery, Champs de Brion, when the grass did not grow, uh, <laughs> they decided let's get people to walk down that quarter of a mile to our picnic spot and see that beautiful view and have wine down there. So we had old irrigation ditches that they um, were no longer using, and we had a backhoe. And so they went down there and they terraced it. We planted sod. My dad and my brother built the first stage. And the grand opening happened, and people walked there, and they loved it. We had the Wenatchee Dixieland Jazz Band at the time come out, and they realized that they were onto two things. One, that they loved the wine business, although at that point in time it was very small. Now there's over 900 wineries in Washington. At that time, there was probably about 15. So they were very much pioneers at that time. And they realized that people loved the music right there, and the acoustics were as good as they thought. And so they just continued to grow that for another seven years until um, they sold it to MCA. And then they continued to plant more grapes and focus on the grapes for another 10 years. And then in 2000, they launched the KV label. Wow, um, that's so incredible. Yeah. The, and you can see a lot of these pictures and, and, and read more about the story online at kv.com. It, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And I, so one question that we didn't really get to, but how did they decide on the soil here in in Washington, why was that so, so important to them? Well, with, I'll speak to that one. Yeah. Um, and with the soil, uh, what they were really looking for is they, they took these family trips to France and, and studied different uh, soil types and proximities to water and elevations and uh, all of these things. And uh, they came back with a basically a, a list of criteria that they wanted for the, the quote-unquote perfect vineyard spot. They gave the list, list to, a, to a commercial real estate agent. The real estate agent was on the hunt for a while. They didn't hear from him for, for about six or eight months, uh, Vince and Carol tell the story. And then suddenly they get a phone call out of the blue. I think we found your spot. <laughs> so, so they went out and they found this place that is now Cave B, and it's gorgeous. And, and the reason it has uh, these wonderful attributes is because of the Missoula floods that created the gorge. While it was creating the gorge, it also left behind the different soil deposits. So on our property, we have about five different soil types oh, wow. um, with different, slightly different compositions of soil and also different uh, rock composition in the soil profile. So those different rocks uh, ranging from calcium carbonate to solid basalt to pumice basalt make up the vineyard's uh, uh, unique nature, I guess, uh, because they're, they're so diverse. And, and over the years, a lot of it through trial and error, we've figured out where different varieties grow best on the property. So really what, what, what we have is we have a number of micro vineyards compared to a lot of the big farmers. And some, some vineyard blocks are as small as a quarter of an acre. We've just looked at, at trying, to, trying to find the spots that are perfectly suited to the variety. Wow. Yeah. Is there anything comparable to that that you guys know of? I mean, is it just so unique to this region? 
you know, not that I know of. There are, there are, don't get me wrong, there are tons of phenomenal growing areas in the state. Mm-hmm. I am not aware of any that are as diverse in such a small area as our space is. And I'm sure when if some some winemakers hear this spot, they're going to call me and, and uh, <laughs> tell me that I'm wrong. But, <laughs> but that, so I'm saying not that I'm aware of. I'm yes. not saying they don't exist. I'm it's just saying caveat. I'm not aware of them. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. through this whole learning and process, you mentioned trial and error. What have you guys learned over the years and how is that reflected in the wine you make? I will say that the first, they, Vincent Carroll originally bought the property to plant Pinot Noir, believe it or not, they they quickly found that that was not going to work. <laughs> but but as far as the varieties that work well, it just it varies so much. I mean, we've got Sangiovese. Let me just say it this way: from where our Sangiovese is planted, which is on the terrace slopes that are most westerly on the property, to where our Riesling is planted, which is um, basically right up by Silica Road, they're about a mile apart from one another. But the but the difference in frost-free days is about forty to forty-five days difference, which is crazy wow also in in growing degrees um there's a there's about a two two degree temperature difference it's two degrees warmer where the sangiovese is to where the riesling is so there's, there's a huge huge variety yeah we we grow 18 different varieties of grapes and they produce 25 different wines which is really people are always shocked at that and they always ask yeah. what our our best one is our favorite one is and i think what kvb is known for the most is that Quite honestly, Freddie does a great job of making them all very true to, to, the, to the, the true to the variety. I try and mm-hmm. I try and keep the wines very varietally correct as, as much as I can. Obviously, we're in Washington, so so you know a, a, a Malbec here is not going to be the same as a Malbec from Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I I do try and keep that that varietal characteristic in the wine. And, and my philosophy behind winemaking is that you know anybody can make a wine that tastes like toasted wood. <laughs> um, the key is to make a wine that retains varietal character while using oak as an ingredient to um, to enhance the wine, but not mask the varietal character. Wow. Well, you mentioned that like it's so easy, though. That's why I laughed, because I still think it's so impressive what you guys do. And also just what uh, Cave B and also ha- and the original winery have meant to this community and the fact that now we have great music out at the Gorge because of you guys essentially is just wonderful. So how can people find out more information about Cave B and the cool events that you guys have year round? Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you one, uh, one thing, the best place probably is to go to our website, which is just uh, cavebee.com. Um, not to be confused with the in restaurant and spa website, which we sold two years ago. So KB.com is specifically the winery website. We also have two tasting rooms, one in Woodenville and one in Quincy at the winery and vineyard site. And we're also opening a new tasting room in Tri-Cities, um, in Kennewick specifically. And all the tasting rooms, all the staff is very knowledgeable about all the events and whatnot. I also manage that we have a Facebook that I keep very up to date and always will have event listings there. And we also have an Instagram account and a Twitter account. So lots of different ways that people can find us. And I also wanted to mention, I told my father recently, I feel like I'm reliving my childhood (laughs) because we have started three years ago, right in front of our Quincy tasting room, we built a, what we call stage B amphitheater. And so it is an outdoor, beautiful venue with the vineyards right behind it. And just like this past weekend, we had the Paper Boys, which is a wonderful band from Vancouver, Canada. (laughs) 
come out on Saturday, and they played for us. And before that, we did a Music and Wine in the Vine event where we walked to five different sites and had cellos in the Cabernet Vineyard, strings in the Syrah, brass in the Barbera, wow. eight yeah. players in the Barrel Cave. And at each site, they got to, people got to taste the wine that came from that specific place, vineyard. Well, besides the Barrel Cave, there we had our wonderful Sauvignon Blanc, and Freddie our, here got to talk there. So we do really fun events, interesting ones. So perfect, lots of different things. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say something for everybody on the list. And, and we'll make sure people check out com, find out more information. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Coming up next, we have Distiller Dane with a new top five and as promised, a jello shot recipe. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. I'm here with our friend Distiller Dane, who has another top five ready to go for us. Dane, I can't believe it's already almost the end of June. We're heading into Fourth of July weekend here shortly. Do you have plans? I do. I can't believe we're already uh, this deep into summer as well. I'm just going to stick with the regular plans, a little bit of barbecuing, some fireworks involved, a little bit of light drinking, uh, but just getting together with friends and having a good time. Yeah, light drinking is a good idea when fireworks are involved. don't overdo it on either but no that sounds awesome i think i'm going to do the same kind of a small barbecue with friends but i'm sure you have some other great ideas for us as well let's go ahead and just get into your top five all right perfect number one on my list this week um these have been kind of popping up all over some bigger cities and i finally got the chance to grab a hold of one and that is electric scooters have you rented one of these with an app and rode around town in them i have not Oh, my gosh. So I used to be a, a Razor scooterer, but I think I've upgraded to the electric version now. But uh, <laughs> these things are a little almost fast to the point that I'm not sure if they, they should be allowed. It's almost oh. a little bit dangerous in some areas. You but, like a uh, helmet and knee pads? recommended to do this because you're supposed to find them and rent them. But a little trick that we did is we got a truck and picked up about seven of them, and we got a whole crew and scootered around the whole town. Oh, a scooter gang. I like it. <laughs> do, you, do you think they're fast enough? Do you recommend a helmet situation? Uh, yeah, I almost wish they kind of came with helmets. They can they can definitely pick up some speed a little slower uphill, uh, but if you get it a, a nice deep downhill, they 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 pick up some speed for sure. That sounds awesome. Where have you? Where can you rent them? Um, I've seen them around Seattle. I was just in Tacoma and saw some open ones, so we we had the idea to get together and uh, have at it. Um, but those are the the two main places I've seen them around in this area. Every major city seems to have them popping up right now, though. Nice. I'll have to check that out. I haven't really seen them around yet, but I I'm sure they are around. I always see the bikes. Uh, what's number two on your list? Uh, number two on my list, it's that time of the year where it's sunny out and people are cleaning out their garages and all the garage sales and estate sales are popping up. And every time I drive by, just like hunting for bourbon or visiting a brewery and distillery, I, I have to seem to stop by and see if there's anything interesting in there. <laughs> what are some of the items you're on the lookout for? I'm always on the lookout for maybe something I just need around the house, but I recently just scored a uh, Nintendo 64 in perfect condition with controllers and games. And I got to give a shout out to my childhood game, Diddy Kong Racing. Nice. See, I loved the, uh, I wasn't as big of a video game player as my brother, but I liked the Sega with Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> that was my game. Uh, that's fun that you can find stuff like that that still works. And I think those were well made. Yeah, I, I was surprised that it was still working. Perfect. 
What is number three? Uh, number three is a new bourbon coming out that is rumored to be coming around this month. Well, let me start. It was a rumor at first as a picture was released of the new label for it. And it was actually recently confirmed to be a once a year special release. Um, it's supposed to be hitting stores this month. And this is called the Weller Full Proof Bourbon. All right. What's so special about this one, Dane? Yeah, so this is being added to the Weller the Weller line. They have the 12-year, the then they have the Special Reserve and the Antique, uh, which if, just, if they even get allocated to stores in your area, they just fly off the shelf, and they've actually had to increase the prices because of that. So this is the once-a-year special release in that product line. Um, it's 114-proof, oh, wow. non-chill, filtered bourbon. Um, expected to have notes of vanilla, cherry, and a long, toasty caramel finish. So keep your eyes out, and if you see one, let me know. Well, that's definitely a sipper at that proof. <laughs> what is your number four? Uh, number four on my list. I haven't checked this place out. It opened up um, a few months ago, I believe. It's over in the Ballard area of Seattle. Um, I'm going to be going there soon with some friends, so I'm super excited. And that is called the Skull Beer Hall. Have you checked this place out yet? No, I love a good beer hall, though. Yeah, so do I. Um, and it's inspired, um, supposed to be inspired with the idea of like a Viking butcher shop. So it's serving up uh, a nice selection of local and Scandinavian craft beer, mead, cider, wine, and most of all, specialty Akavit cocktails. Ooh, yeah, I do like, um, I found out what Akavit was on this show, but uh, now I've tried it and I really like it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's delicious. And uh, Heritage, we're about to release our first Aquavit uh, in early July, so keep an eye out for that. That's awesome. All right, we're down to just number five. Yeah, number five. I can't believe this one's actually on my list because it kind of freaks me out a little bit, uh, <laughs> but it's one of those things I have to see because it's also came out in the air when I was growing up, and that is the new Chucky movie or Child's Play 2019, which is a reboot of the original movie. Yeah, I've been seeing the ads for that. How many of those have they made? Feels like a lot. Quite a few. That doll freaks me out. It, it does freak me out a little bit. This one's interesting. It actually stars uh, our Aubrey Plaza as one of the stars in it from, you know, Parks and Rec, which oh, I've yeah. always been a big fan of. And apparently uh, Chucky gets a little high tech in this new era with how our technology <laughs> has changed since the original. So we'll see how that plays out. Chucky got a hold of social media. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's awesome. You always have the best ideas and advice. Thank you so much for joining us again for a top five today, Dane. All right. Thank you. Well, another great top five from our friend Distiller Dane. And that's also going to lead us right into our cocktail recipe, which is pretty interesting this week, Justin. It is. It's um, not what you'd expect necessarily from a uh, a cocktail education program. <laughs> uh, because it's 4th of July, we're doing jello shots. Why not? Why not? And the jello shot is great for party atmosphere. Uh, it just requires a little work ahead of time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A couple and of days of work ahead of time. Not too much, but yeah. and, and people seem to really, everybody can appreciate it. They gravitate shot. towards them. Yeah. yeah. So you need to plan this week, go to the store, get what you need, including maybe going to the grocery store or restaurant supply store or Costco to get the little plastic cups. Oh, yeah. Right? The disposable cups that you can use if you want, if you don't have uh, small permanent cups. Um, okay. So here's the thing. You need a six-ounce box of Jello. It could be either flavored or plain gelatin. Depends on how much control you want on the flavor. Uh, you'll need two cups of boiling water, one cup of cold water, and one cup of your favorite heritage distilling flavored vodka or BSB brown sugar bourbon. You're going to add the Jello to the boiling water, two cups, uh, six-ounce box to two cups of boiling water. Stir for two minutes or until fully dissolved. 
add the one cup of cold water and then add the flavored vodka or BSB and pour it into shot glasses. So if you've got a bunch of shot glasses, you can use those oh, as nice. well. Oh, nice. Okay. Refrigerate until solid, which is usually at least four hours minimum. Don't put it in the freezer. It does it too quickly. So here's here's how we recommend some pairings. If you want to use lime jello, you use mango vodka and sweet ghost pepper vodka. Ooh. You can mix those together. Uh, it'd be half a cup each. You want one cup of vodka per batch. Lemon jello goes great with lavender vodka or huckleberry vodka, like Ooh, a lavender lavender lemonade. Mango jello, you can use mango vodka or blood orange vodka. Orange jello, you can use huckleberry vodka, mango vodka, or BSB. Oh, wow. BSB brown sugar bourbon. And if you get a maraschino cherry, you put a maraschino cherry in the bottom of each right one. It's, it's almost like having an old fashioned. We'll make this available at heritagedistilling.com along with past cocktail recipes. If maybe jello shots aren't your thing, but you still need a party cocktail that uh, you want to get creative with, that's available at heritagedistilling.com. Also, where you can download episodes of this very podcast. That's right. If you want to pick up any of those products, you can go to any one of our six distilleries and tasting rooms in Roslyn or in Eastern Washington, Capitol Hill in Seattle, Ballard. Uh, We've got two locations in Gig Harbor and then one in Eugene, and we can ship anywhere you want in Washington. So there's still time. Go online, click order at heritagedistilling.com. And also remember, keep safe this holiday season. Your your family and friends drink responsibly. That's right. That's right. And uh, check us out on social media at Facebook. Uh, on iTunes. Don't forget to write us on iTunes and also on Instagram. Awesome. We will see you back here next week. Everybody have a great 4th of July. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.